0: So in Washington state, you can smoke marijuana and marry your homosexual partner, but don't use the word Christmas in public. Things have gone a little upside down in our country from years ago, certainly from when I was a child, and Christians see this stuff and we we have various reactions to it, but what should our reaction to it be? Well, in the Beatitudes, the the end of this little section in which Christ defines real Christianity, and he pronounces people happy who follow this pattern in real Christianity, he tells us how we ought to respond to such things. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1 And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor. Why is it that the world that we live in, you know, and, and in fact, I would just put it this way, outside of, I'm going to go out on a limb here, outside of England and the U.S. of A., this has always been the case, but it's increasingly being the case here. Why is it that our, this world is not a friend to Christ's followers? Why is there persecution Why can't we just live and let live? In the words of Rodney King, why can't we all just get along? Well, there's a reason for it, and the reason for it is summarized for us in Revelation chapter 12. Turn there with me, please. Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation 12, we have a passage of Scripture that, uh, that is a, a challenging one to understand, and yet uh, perhaps simpler than it appears on the surface. And I would call it a prophetic snapshot. Okay, It's not the whole movie. It's just a snapshot. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. And this is talking, uh, the essence of this passage is talking about the time future to us, the tribulation time, Time when there will be a great uh, great upheaval on the earth, uh, in part to God uh, pouring out his wrath, and also Satan trying to ultimately rule the world and During that time, a great sign appeared in heaven: a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars that being then being with child, the woman being with child, she cried out in labor in pain to give birth and another sign appeared above heaven behold a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten hordes and seven diadems on his head his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Then, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and the angels fought But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, we don't have time to really look at this whole passage of Scripture but here's the reason we're reading this and, and to explain everything that's here. But here's the reason we're reading this. This passage gives us a snapshot, a long-term perspective on why we are persecuted as Christians. And that snapshot is, includes several different characters. Now, I think as we read the whole picture, you understand that two of those characters are clearly identified. One of them is Satan. The other one is Christ. There's only one person that the Scripture ever talks about who will rule all nations with a rod of iron. There's only one person that fits that description who is caught up to God, and that's Christ. And certainly later the passage defines Satan to us. We don't get the clear definition in this passage of who the woman is, but if we ask the question, from whom was Christ born, what woman who had... What does it say? 12, twelve, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Is talking about Israel. He's picturing Israel as the, as the source of Christ. The 12 stars are a reference to the 12 tribes of Israel. The dragon is a reference to Satan. Now, the part of the story that refers directly to that tribulation time is this, uh, the horns and the crowns, and it's talking about world powers that he will manipulate during that tribulation time. A third of the stars of heaven talking about demons that went with him when he rebelled against God. The male child is talking about Christ. Now this narrative it, it, it covers a huge amount of time. If we go back to the beginning of the nation of Israel, we would go back to 1400 BC, and uh, certainly Satan was created before that. But now we come to the birth of Christ, and the date would be—you know—we would call it 1 AD or or 3 AD. You know, we don't know exactly, according to our calendars, when that is within a range of two to three years, but there's a time frame. So now we've, we've jumped all the way from the beginning of the nation of Israel to the birth of Christ who came out of Israel. And what did the scripture say that Satan was doing? He was waiting for the child to be born so that he could devour. Now, what did Satan do that's included in what we call the Christmas story in an attempt to devour Christ? Class? We talked about it in my class this morning. What did he do? He inspired Herod to be so jealous of one that the wise men came and said, hey, we've heard the king of the Jews is born, and Herod thought, I'm the king of the Jews. And he said, when did you first know about his birth through the star that appeared in heaven? And they told him, and he went out and did what? He said, all of the baby boys in this area are going to be killed up through two years of age. Because he thought, surely if he's here, I'm going to kill him. That's Satan waiting to devour the child. But the scripture says, what happened to the child? He was caught up to God. Now, that caught up, we just went from the birth of Christ to the ascension of Christ in one verse. You see how this is a snapshot. This is encapsulating a bunch of things. And then then we find that uh, the woman fled to the wilderness. The woman fled to the wilderness, when does that happen? That happens in the tribulation time. When's the tribulation going to be? It's going to be sometime in the future. That's why I said 2012 plus. Tribulation could start in a few days, it could start in a few weeks, it could start in a few months or in a few years in God's time we don't know. God willing and we understand the scripture right, we're going to be caught up to heaven ourselves before that starts. And there's going to be a terrible time. And Israel is going to be the focus of God's work in the sense that Israel will have a wholesale a revival and a turning to God. And at the same time, Satan is going to try to eradicate them. And there's going to be horrible times on the earth. And then this, this thing goes all the way to the coronation. We, we uh, but down in verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice say, Now, salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. That's another name for Satan, who accused them before our God night and day has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens. Now, I call this a prophetic snapshot. It goes all the way from AD fourteen hundred to some to the end of the tribulation. Here's the point, and here's the thing I want you to grasp. Satan is doing everything he can to oppose Christ. People who study the Bible and write books have referred to this as the battle of the ages. Now, here's a question for you. If if Satan was right there ready to devour Christ in order to stop him, what do you suppose he was doing in here? Do you suppose he was sitting up in heaven twiddling his thumbs going, boy, I can't wait for for that day to come, because then I'll really do something. No. And then what was he doing back here? In fact, when did Satan start his opposing of God's program? Class? Garden of Eden. He said, Eve, Eve. I'm going to give it the Lunsford paraphrase. Don't obey God. Do what you want to do. And Eve said, Okay. And she followed him. And then, and then you know, why was Cain so jealous of Abel? Was that just in him? Or was Satan saying, you deserve to be recognized just like your brother. It doesn't matter what kind of sacrifice you bring. And we have the first murder. And we find out later Jesus called Satan a murderer. And we go on and on and on. And, 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 and uh, you know, the, the, the Egyptian uh, opposition to the people of God at the Exodus time. And we go on and on and on. And and what do you suppose Satan is doing between 1 AD and and this time right here? What do you suppose he's doing? You suppose he's twiddling his thumbs going, oh, boy, I really lost out there, Bethlehem. No. Satan is prosecuting the persecution of believers. He is behind what is going on in the world. How do I know that? I know that because Ephesians 2.2 says he is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. Now I don't believe every every non-Christian, every unbeliever is possessed. That's not what the scripture says. But somehow Satan moves them and he propels them and he infuses them with ideas and they follow his lead. 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls him the God of this age who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Why can't we get through to people? <laughs> because Satan has blinded their minds. Where does persecution come from? yes it comes from the people you see around you but why do they never give up why is there constant new wave it's because satan will never 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 give up until the day before the before the millennium when christ locks him in hell for a thousand years He's going to be let out again to try to prove he can lead people astray. He'll lead the unbelievers astray, and then God will finally send him to hell. In fact, that's what hell was created for, was for the devil. And when that day comes, there will be an end to his inspiration of the world and his opposition of Christ. But right now today, in 2012, we are living in Matthew 5, verse 10, 11, and 12, and Jesus said, you are going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake and for my sake. What, is it, what does persecution mean? What is the nature of persecution? The word persecute in the scripture literally means to chase or to pursue. One commentator suggested the word harass. Harassment or harassment, depending on how you want to pronounce it is when somebody just won't let somebody else alone. They're just after him, after him, after him. And, and, uh, you know, in our legal system in America, we can get a a, a no-contact order for those kind of situations and say, you have to stay 500 feet away from me at all times. Stop harassing me. The word harassment here is a great word. I like the word intimidation, and that's what I'm going to use in my sermon today. And the reason I'm going to use the word intimidation is this. The harassment of Satan through the world system is meant to intimidate Christians into activity. And I've defined persecution this way. Persecution is any kind of opposition to the word of Christ, the body of Christ, the ministry of Christ, on account of the person of Christ any kind of opposition to the word of Christ the body of Christ the ministry of Christ on account of the person of Christ Uh, we uh, you know if people oppose Christ they aren't necessarily gonna come to us and say I don't like Christ therefore I'm gonna give you a hard time but we have to understand that is what's ultimately going on and what is the form that that takes what is the form that that persecution takes? Well, first of all, it takes the form of physical intimidation. And that started with uh, the person of Christ. We'll look at a scripture about that in, in a minute. But do you remember uh, uh, Linus and uh, Lucy in the Charlie Brown Christmas special? One of the greatest TV shows of all time, if you don't know that. <laughs> Boy, back in the days before videos and VCRs, when that, that, that thing showed one time at christmas and then we had to wait for 12 more months to see it again and couldn't wait for it to come great scene in this where lucy says to linus i want you to learn these these lines for the christmas play i want you to memorize these lines and he says i can't memorize these lines give me one good reason why i should memorize these lines and she goes i'll give you one good reason i'll give you five good reasons one two three four five And he says, those are good reasons. (laughs) The threat of physical harm is a powerful intimidator. The Pharisees are a prime example of this kind of persecution. After this one, this is one of the first times that this is spoken of in the scripture, but then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Other places, it's even more explicit, they, they, just, they plotted together how they could kill him. And Jesus knew about this. And there were times when they were coming to get him, and the scripture says Jesus knew what they were going to do, and he went out through the crowd. Now that would be a great, that would be a great little snippet in the TV show of Jesus' life done with. A computer-generated animation or a computer-generated uh, what's the word graphics where he just walks through the people and they're going where'd he go where'd he go and he did that several times and the scripture says the reason he did it is his time had not come and of course the son of God was not intimidated by their physical threat eventually when it got time to the crucifixion he, he, he looks the people in the eye and he says you have no power whatsoever unless God gave it to you and so you know he was not intimidated by their attempts at at physical harassment but that is a prime method of persecution it's not in this country because it, it is illegal and we have you know certain legal rights and 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 we think those are actually rights from God but they aren't and and so we 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 look around and think, isn't that terrible? And yet this physical persecution is the norm for God's people. Second Corinthians 11.3, the Apostle Paul said, he's comparing himself to some other people that were boasting. He said, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. In other words, I'm bragging and I shouldn't be. In labors, in stripes, that's being whipped. In prisons, in deaths Often. That means there were many times in his life when he thought, well, I guess I'm going to see Jesus now. And he really thought he was going to die in deaths often. This kind of physical intimidation has never stopped since it started. After, shortly after the time of Christ, Nero, the Roman emperor, threw Christians to the lions when they would not acknowledge Nero as God. You have to bow down to me. In the the Roman system, you had to bow down to the emperor and show your allegiance. If you didn't, then you were guilty of treason. And you could worship anybody you wanted after you bowed down to Nero. And the Christians said, we're not going to bow down. So they threw him in and the lions tore him up or they threw him into the, uh, you know, with the gladiators or that sort of thing. He, He burned them on a pole. You know, the famous story of Nero lighting up his outside party by christians uh, burning on poles and we think oh wow that's so long ago and yet um, if you pay attention to the news you pay attention to uh, what's going on certainly not on the network news but in other news sources there are religious groups all over the world today who will burn down people's homes beat people and put christians to death Uh, sometimes they get in trouble for it sometimes they do not if you want to read about examples of what's going on in the world today, read the current issue of World Magazine. Uh, every year they give an award called the Daniel of the Year, a person who's willing to stand up um, for God. And this year they're giving it to, uh, to China's outspoken, imprisoned Christians. And they also talk, though, about other countries and other places where um, physical intimidation is an ongoing challenge to Christians for us the second kind of uh intimidation is probably the most common and and i've chosen to call it social intimidation and uh and it went on in the time of christ as well Um, you remember the story where jesus healed a blind man and he was actually a young adult but his parents were brought in because the pharisees were mad that jesus had healed this man on on the sabbath and so they're trying to find a way to accuse him so they can kill him And so they brought his parents in, and uh, the Pharisees, uh, the accusers of Christ, asked the parents, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? They wanted them to say, well, Jesus healed him. But look how intimidated they were. His parents answered them, said, we know that it's our son, and we know he was born blind, but by what means he now sees? We do not know. Or who opened his eyes that we we do not know. He is of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. Why? His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. What does it mean to be put out of the synagogue? It means to be ostracized from your local Jewish community as a Jewish person. Um, It would be similar today to to living in a small community and the community says, we're not going to fellowship with you anymore. You're out of here. Social intimidation. And these people caved. Satan inspired the Pharisees to press on people and these people said I'm not going up against that. Social intimidation. If you live the way Christ has asked you to live, you likely will not be part of the social elite, whether it's in high school or college or society, because you are not going to do the kinds of things that the social elite wants to do. And if you just say, no, uh, no thank you, and turn the other way, they're going to say, what's the matter? Can't handle it? If you refuse to go out drinking with your coworkers, chances are they're going to stop including you in the conversation at work While I was working out yesterday down at the everyday fitness a A really strong, muscular young man was doing chin ups, and i was I was mentally doing them along with him <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean literally the bulging biceps and the thin torso oh, yeah, you know. uh I mean, the guy was practically bored, you know, doing the chin-ups, and and I'm I'm up there and over there. There's a couple of women, uh, you know, doing the treadmill or whatever, and one of them looks at the other one and she points to the guy, and I don't know what she said, but clearly it was a lewd comment. And if you're that other woman and you say, hey, I don't want to talk about that, how's that going to play out for you? Goody two shoes, prude. You're too good for it. That's the kind of stuff that happens to Christians. I mean, think about it. They're throwing people in jail in other countries, and for us, it's like, oh, they won't like me if I don't if I don't if I stand up and say what's right. They're not going to like me anymore. But the devil knows how much we want to be liked. And so he presses the society to act in certain ways and value certain things, to have certain go-to mentalities. We were buying buying a Christmas present and uh, person we were talking about what we were going to do with this present and they said oh yes, you know uh, somebody will make a drinking game and play with that and I thought not in my house, that's probably not going to happen, you know, but that's that's the go-to mentality. And we're intimidated into inactivity. The third kind of intimidation is social, is uh, intellectual intimidation. Intellectual. And I know that the uh, three or four of these kind of overlap, and yet they are a little different. Listen to how Jesus was criticized. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands is this not the carpenter the son of Mary and the brother of James Joseph Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us and they were offended at him. You know why they were offended because he didn't have a PhD. He didn't have a big college degree uh, you know, from the school of Gamaliel like the Apostle Paul did. And of course, the Apostle Paul had the degree from the school of Gamaliel and how they treat him, not that well either. But here it's an excuse to reject him. And they said, where did this guy get all this stuff that he's teaching? Who does he think he is? There's his brothers and his sisters. He's just one of us. And he's standing up here saying this stuff. Who do you think you are, Christian, to talk about human nature? Do you have a PhD in psychology? Do you have some intellectual basis upon which you can stand up and say, this is what's going on with people? Another day that I was working out this week, it was just me and another fella in there, and we got talking about these, uh, these shootings back east. And this fella said, boy, how are you going to keep people from doing that kind of stuff? I said well there is a solution but a lot of people don't want it and he did not track with me at all not at all and he talked about something and i said well i think people have to get a relationship with jesus christ and get their life changed you know you go out and talk that way i mean people are going to say you don't know anything What are you talking about? Religion is not going to change anything. You're stupid. Who are you to say some other religion is wrong and yours is right? Can you prove God exists? How do you know the Bible is the word of God? And so on and so on. And the Christian who is unprepared and immature is scared and stops speaking. And Satan marks a victory on his chalkboard intellectual intimidation. Spiritual intimidation. Uh, certainly it overlaps with the previous two, but uh, you know, I think it sounds like this, and, and they, they said to him, to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Or, excuse me, this is Satan, not they, it's him. Satan is tempting Christ, and he says, uh, he took him up to a very high place, and he says, now if you're really the son of God, You throw yourself off here and fall on the ground. He will give his angels charge of you. That's what it says in the scripture. And in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Let me put this in modern terms. If God is so good, why does he let bad things happen? See, he's saying, look, if God really is good, you can do anything and he's going to have to take care of you. And so today, there are many people asking that question after the terrible shootings in, in, in the Northeast, but not just theres shooting at the mall in Portland. And I think there was a third one this week somewhere else as well, and saying, "Why does a good God let those things happen?" Where do those questions come from? Those questions come from Satan because he wants to plant doubts in our minds like he planted doubts in Eve's mind is God really that good Eve would he set you up for this how could a God of love send people to hell why would a good God create people with sexual desires and then he would say they're sinful if they live them out I would just give you a brief answer on the why would a good God let bad things happen. And the answer is this, would you have preferred that God created us as robots with no ability to choose? He could have done that. But he created Adam and Eve with an ability to choose right and wrong, choose obedience and disobedience, and he placed them in a perfect world, a perfect environment, and they had a perfect relationship. And God said, now, make the right choice. And what did they do? They made the wrong choice. Now if God had said, you don't get to choose, you just have to do everything I say, would that have been better? Uh, Most of those people who are asking those skeptical questions would not think so because they value their freedom to do what they want to do more than anything. God has allowed mankind to make choices, and ever since the first two people made the wrong choices, we are born with a sin nature, and we freely choose to sin as that young man did at the Sandy Hook Elementary School. But when Satan presses us with this kind of spiritual intimidation, Christians like to take their toys and go home and say, oh, I'm not going to go out there. I'm not going to talk about the Lord because I can't answer all these questions perfectly. You know, when God had that interaction with Job, Job never knew why those things happened. He never knew. God never said, Job, here's the deal. Satan came up and challenged me. He never told him. You know what he said to him? He said, I'm God and you're not. That is not the answer the world wants to hear. But those of us who have accepted Christ and have believed in God, we submit ourselves to God and we follow no matter what. But on the path to that maturity, the devil wants to press on us and he'll press through the intimidation of our society that says, can't be a good God who does that. There's one more kind of intimidation and I, I needed to use a stronger word here. And that's what Jesus talked about specifically in Matthew chapter five, verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile or or say bad things about you and persecute you and they say all kinds of evil against you falsely, falsely. Now I'm not spending any time today talking about the, the wrong reasons to be persecuted. The wrong reason to be persecuted essentially is when you live in sin. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 4 says, now look, if you're persecuted for wrongdoing, don't be be whining about that. Okay, You do wrong, you suffer for it, it is not Christian persecution. Or if you're mean to people and you're witness for Christ, then you're going to be persecuted for meanness, not for standing up for Christ. So we need to be careful about those kind of things, but But the world will say things falsely. Look what they said about Christ. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow, talking about Jesus, does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. They said Christ has power to cast out demons, but he only does it because he's working with the devil. And then here's another, and of course that's totally false, it's totally made up, Here's another specific criticism of him. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine bibber, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And this is based on the fact that he had dinner with people like Matthew and other tax collectors. And he certainly welcomed those uh, immoral women who had gotten right, or sinful women who, who came to repent. And they said, He is a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they criticized him by false statements. In the days of the Roman Empire, shortly after Christ, unbelievers accused Christians of being cannibals. They accused them of being cannibals because the the communion with the blood of Christ and the body of Christ, they said, you are eating the body and blood of Christ. That's cannibalism. They accused them of treason because they would claim only Jesus as their king. How does the world falsely attack us today how about this you're homophobic you're homophobic the fact that you do not approve of homosexuality means you are afraid that's what homophobic means you are afraid of homosexuals and so that's why you're doing those things you're bigots you're intolerant and uh... You know, you should love everybody the same, no matter what religion they're from. You should never say a bad word against anybody. And so because you don't do that, you're a bigot. You're ignorant and you're unscientific. You don't know the facts. You are not paying attention to things. And of course, the real truth is, often those people who are making those accusations, they have not studied the science either. And they don't know what they're talking about. And yet it hurts and it presses us, and we think, well, I, I, I kind of want everybody to like me. I want to get along and go along. I don't want to have a problem. And yet, look what Jesus said. Blessed are, the pe- blessed are those who are persecuted. And look at what he said about the certainty of persecution. If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. You know, that's a, we could just stop right there. How perfect do you live your life? You know, let's uh, give yourself a grade. Put it on your notes, you know, on a scale of 1 to 100. Give yourself a grade for perfection. Give yourself a grade for how perfectly you treat everybody. Give yourself a grade for how patient you are when you drive. Give yourself a grade for generosity. Give yourself a grade and say, how perfect am I? And be really generous and give yourself about a 60% or a 70%. How perfect was Jesus? Well, we know he was absolutely perfect. Now, he certainly said some things people didn't want to hear, but he was perfect in saying it. And so think about that this way. He was perfect and the result was they hated him. So is it gonna be possible for you to be perfect enough to overcome their hatred? No, you can roll over and join them but you will never be more perfect than he was and it hated them and that's, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, if you were truly an unbeliever who lived in a worldly way, the world would love you. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He he said, look, the world doesn't hate you because you have been mean to them. I mean, again, we're presuming you haven't been mean to them. The world doesn't hate you for that reason. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. He didn't say they might. He didn't say it could happen. He said they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Which he's alluding to the fact that there are some people when you preach the truth, they're gonna say, hey, I want that and I wanna believe that but he's saying it's gonna be one or the other. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Persecution is certain. The apostle Paul summarized it this way, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, uh, as I mentioned earlier, in our country, we have uh, certain legal protections. We have the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and so on. And we have far more freedom, I think, than any place in the world. You know, I don't know how it is in England or Canada. Actually, I, I know that Canada has enacted some speech laws which do start to curtail on things that, that might be said in churches. But, but I know we probably have close to, if not the most, freedom in the world, religiously speaking. And the problem we get into as Christians in America is we think this is normal. And when it doesn't happen, we're thinking, hey, I deserve better than this. No, you know what you deserve? (laughs) You deserve this. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. We should think that persecution is normal and freedom is abnormal. We should be just rejoicing when we have any freedom at all. And yet we've gotten so turned around and so easy. One of our missionaries who serves in a a place where there is heavy oppression, he said, here's what the Christians in this country say. They say, we're going to serve the Lord. And if we die, we die. Wow. I think our motto here is we're going to serve the Lord, but not if there's a problem. The certainty of persecution. Now look what what Jesus said in Matthew 5 blessed are you when they revile you. That could be translated whenever. And so he's not saying here that you're going to be persecuted all the time. That's never going to stop. He's not saying that. And, And you shouldn't go out of here today saying well I haven't been persecuted for a while so maybe I'm a lousy Christian. You know that's a possibility. But it's also a possibility you're living in a free country and and, and maybe the Lord has just not allowed that to touch you in recent days, but our expectation when somebody says no, you can't put a manger scene on this public piece of ground, we should think, well, you know, that's Jesus said that's the way people are going to go. Now yeah, it's America; we want to fight for our rights, fight away, but have the right mentality, which says we are going to be persecuted. There is going to be challenges, and we should not be dissuaded because of it. How are we supposed to respond to persecution? Look at Matthew chapter 5. He says you're blessed. First of all, you're happy when this happens. But verse 12 is really the key. Rejoice. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Now that's just upside down. Be happy that you're persecuted. That's a tough one. Rejoice. And be exceedingly glad. Why? Number one, because persecution is an evidence of salvation. If you are not connected to Christ, you will not be persecuted. One of the clear summaries of that truth is here um, in Philippians 1. Do not, don't be terrified. Don't be terrified by those who are your persecutors, which is to them a proof that they are going to hell but it's a proof to you of salvation and that from God. If you live Christianly enough, Christianly enough to be persecuted, you should come away from it going, they know I'm a Christian. How cool is that? That should be a goal. It should be a goal for us, to, to, for people to know we're a Christian. Frankly, I, I can't compare my experience to yours because everybody that I know out there in the world knows that I'm a pastor and so they kind of expect it. I, you know, I can't, I can't be incognito. Um, I try to do that sometimes when I meet people just so I can kind of sneak in the back door when they aren't looking, you know. I, I don't mean saving myself, I mean sneak in the back door intellectually and get to them. But, but uh, people know I'm a pastor and, and so they, you know, they kind of avoid certain topics and certain things and so, I, you know, I don't think my experience is typical there. Um, if we live for the Lord, people are going to know that we are the Lord's. Look at the way Peter put it. And Peter, by the way, biggest caver in the world. I mean, he, you know, he caved in right at the moment of truth, right? But look what he says now about persecution. Beloved, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He says take joy in it because it's an evidence that the spirit of God is on you. If you were of the world, the world would not persecute you. But when you are persecuted, it's an evidence of your salvation. Number two. Persecution will yield a reward in heaven. And that's specifically mentioned by Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. Apostle Paul talks about our reward when he says our light affliction, our persecution, and he calls it light. In other words, he's saying this is nothing which is but for a moment, it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The Apostle Paul, who was beaten with a cat of nine tails, you know, 39 stripes, 40 stripes save one, because they didn't want to go too far, and he was beaten many times that way. And he was, he was shipwrecked, and he was beaten with rods. They would beat him on their feet with rods. And, and, and he was put in places where he was going to die. He says, our light affliction. Our light affliction is nothing compared to the weight of glory we're going to have in heaven. He said, yeah, this is hard, but it's nothing. Man, when I get there, I'm going to be living large not going to be hungry, not going to be thirsty, never going to be persecuted. In fact, God's going to give me a crown for the things that I've done. I get to go to church every day. I get to see the world, whatever. I get to do all these things. It's going to be wonderful in heaven. God says, at the end of our life, he's going to evaluate how we've lived for him as Christians. Not as whether we get into heaven or not, but as to how much reward we will get. And persecution is part of that reward system. Okay? I don't think we should go out and try to get persecuted so we can get a reward in heaven. But when it happens, God's going to recognize us for it later on. Last week, I, I checked the grades on my seminary class, and, and uh, I found a good grade on a paper. Uh, you know, I generally don't do too bad, but I, I wasn't doing that great, and I got a good grade, and I did a little happy dance, and I said, "Woohoo!" Nobody was there, just me, you know. You don't want to see a preacher dance. It's not pretty. But I did rejoice. I thought, great, I got it. I figured it out. Wasn't that hard, but it's just kind of a thrill of victory to get the thing done the way you're supposed to get it done. What do you suppose you will say when God says, good job standing up to those people. Good job speaking the truth at that school meeting. Good job defending righteous marriage. Good job urging people not to get an abortion, even though you took a lot of heat for that stuff. Good job do you suppose you'll do a little happy dance I think maybe you will I think there's gonna be dancing in heaven persecution persecution brings us reward in heaven and lastly according to Matthew five twelve, persecution places us in good company rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you When you're persecuted, you get to join an exclusive club, the Club of Prophets, the Club of Prophets. I don't know if you've ever had a group of people you wanted to be part of, something that you thought, this is really cool. Somebody told me this week they always wanted to get a varsity letter, and they never did. You know, I got a varsity letter, but that wasn't my goal. My goal was to be part of the cool guys. How many of you think I made it there? (laughs) Don't don't answer that question. (laughs) When you are persecuted, you come into the company of Moses and Isaiah and Jesus. The world intimidates us hoping that we will slink away, thinking, oh, I'm nobody, I'm nothing. And the truth is, when they are persecuting us, it is proving that we are somebody. We're God's children, and it brings us in God's esteem, in God's evaluation, into a company of people that is very distinct.